and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Pastor Brad Gray. I serve as the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church in Paxinos, Pennsylvania, which if you'd like to learn more about, you can go to stoningtonbaptist.com, www.stoningtonbaptist.com. I think that's three W's, uh, stoningtonbaptist.com or .org. That'll get you to where our church is. And so good to, it's so good to uh, speak with you again. Uh, I had intended to get this little episode out before I had traveled the last several days. But alas, uh, things got away from me and wasn't able to uh, get this episode finished. Kind of the stuff that I wanted to uh, throw together uh, here uh, for your enjoyment and hopefully for your encouragement. Uh, So here we are. Uh, I'm so happy that you clicked play on this episode. Uh, Just got back from traveling last weekend, uh, went and visited uh, my uh, parents and family in South Carolina, uh, the upstate of South Carolina, where my dad serves as a pastor, um, where he has served for going on 25 years now, and then uh, also got to travel to uh, South Florida to be with uh, a lot of my in-laws, so my wife's uh, family, and also the church that we uh, was so dear to us, Beacon Baptist Church in Jupiter, Florida. So it was a great time, great time with family, great time seeing friends. Um, but it was, as I've said to several folks, it's always good to come back home. Uh, no matter where we travel, no matter who we see, uh, there's nothing like coming home, sleeping in your own bed, and being in your house, your own house. So uh, it was good to travel, good to see folks, good to come back home, uh, and uh, trying to get back into the swing of things. Lots of studying and writing I've uh, come back home to, which I'm very thankful for, And uh, but I wanted to get this particular episode out to you because I thought there was a lot of things that I've... There's a lot of articles um, that I've been hoarding, I guess you could say, uh, a lot of uh, different little anecdotes that I've wanted to share, and so I've put some together here. I have a couple other episodes planned uh, for Ministry Minded in the weeks to come, so I hope to get those out to you soon as well. But uh, I'm excited for this particular episode. I want to talk about a lot of different stuff. Uh, Dave Zoll, uh, the mind behind Mockingbird, which, you know, I've uh, been thankful to contribute a lot of different pieces for them. He has a new book out this week, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that, uh, a little bit about some articles about Doubting Thomas, as he's often known, and also about an article which, uh, the first one I want to get to is an article that, that my friend Avi Tyler Todd wrote uh, about Southern Yankees, which I think is just a great term and a great title for an essay he wrote for Thamelios that journal from the Gospel Coalition. So before we get to all that, uh, here's a word from uh, the sponsor for Ministry Minded, Fresh Roasted Coffee. And after that little advertisement, uh, we'll get right into all the stuff I have for you. So here we go. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. 
fresh roasted coffee roast their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to fresh roasted coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or pour over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. All right, first up, what about this? Uh, my friend, Abby Tyler Todd, uh, he pastors Third Baptist Church in Marion, Illinois. He wrote this essay for the Thamelios Journal, which is put up by the Gospel Coalition. Uh, and this piece that he wrote is entitled Southern Yankees, Southern Baptist Clergy in the Antebellum North, which he identifies as the years 1812 through 1861. Uh, this is a very long but sprawling essay on sort of the intersection of history, sort of pre-Civil War, uh, but also how that history intersects with the church. And especially he looks at how Southern Baptist pastors began taking pastorates in the North while the United States edged closer and closer to Civil War, which I, I find this era of history, uh, history extremely fascinating, but, and I can actually think of no one better to write on this era of history, especially on this area, on this era of history as it relates to the church. Uh, other than Abi, Abi is a fantastic writer. I would even deem him a scholar. He might shudder at the thought, perhaps, if he listens to this particular podcast, that um, that he's being called that. But uh, I'm very thankful for his efforts in writing on this era of on this area of history, especially in this area of history as it relates to the church, because there's so many different crossovers. Um, in this uh, time period with a a burgeoning sort of growth of the church and theology and interest in theology here and overseas in uh, the United Kingdom as well. And all of those things kind of coalesce into this article in which we see these Southern Baptist ministers increasingly creep up north even as the country becomes disillusioned. Um, And I love how Abby writes this piece. It's is fascinating. It's interesting. It is, I think, incredibly informative. And I love this term, Southern Yankees. In fact, Abby has joked, he and I have joked in the past about starting a podcast called Southern Yankees only because he and I are, are, are kind of fit that bill. We fit the bill of Southern boys being called to minister for God's kingdom and minister to God's people in Northern states. Um, but I love just how he details this piece. Um, I, I highly recommend you read it just for an informational for sort of standpoint. I think it can be incredibly informative and enlightening on how God worked uh, through the church, through pastors in this era of, of seemingly... Uh, confusion and disintegration of of the of the country of America, um, and one of the most intriguing sort of 
lines he says uh, in there. He says, quote, Misinformation and rumor-mongering had become normalized in American discourse, end quote. So it's, it's fascinating how even here, that even in these, uh, in this sort of first half of the 1800s, um, fake news had already sort of had a hold on the general populace through both northern and southern pundits and preachers. Um, they had given themselves to misinformation, rumor-mongering, a.k.a. fake news, which sounds a lot like something we uh, are familiar with, something with which we would write in our own history books uh, about the history of our own day, uh, if you will. Um, so, I recommend this article to you. It's great. It's long, um, but I think you'll you'll be encouraged, but also informed by it. And I think that that's always something that is worthwhile. What am I preaching on? Well, I'm getting ready to finish up my series on the books of First and Second Kings. This particular coming Sunday, I get to preach on uh, the reign, the tumultuous reign of Manasseh of Judah, which comes in Second Kings 21, which sort of spells the beginning of the end for the kingdom of Judah. Um, as we wrap up that era of history with Second Kings 21 through 25. So I'm excited uh, to bring this series to a close, not just because of what we've seen, what we've learned, but also because I'm excited for uh, sort of the culmination of all of what this history has been pointing to, all of what God has been wanting to show us in his word, through this history, but also because I'm excited to see where God takes us in the weeks and months to come. As a church specifically, I'm excited because I know God has been leading me to preach uh, another sermon series, and I'm excited to say that in the coming weeks and months, I'm putting together a sermon series on the book of Hebrews, which I've been hinting and circling for a long while, and I'm excited to finally put that series together and preach through that incredibly formative book. I've often called it the most important book in the New Testament, and perhaps even the entire Bible, as it connects a lot of Old Testament richness and theology and brings it into the New Covenant era, and and, and, and it, it makes it uh, such a unmissable book. We cannot understand the gospel apart from Hebrews, and so I'm excited to preach that. So uh, what am I reading well, as you know, as I hinted at in the beginning of this show, Dave Zoll, the editor and sort of the the, the, the editor-in-chief, the main guy behind the publication Mockingbird, mbird.com, if you want to go find a lot of that stuff, the great pieces that they have over there. He has a new book released this week, in fact, uh, called Low Anthropology, The Unlikely Key to a Gracious View of Others and yourself. Uh, I was happily a part of the launch team for Low Anthropology. Uh, I have a review. Uh, I'm, I'm putting together last sort of couple thoughts of for my review of that book, and I'm excited to release that in the coming days. Uh, but Dave has a great article to sort of introduce you to this book and why he wrote it. He says in uh, in the article, which I'll link below, he says that this book is, quote, his attempt to make Christian teaching about original sin and creatureliness intelligible to the wider world. And he says, continuing further, quote, it's his attempt to cut through the noise with hope, 
highlighting the counterintuitive truth that weakness and limitation can function as a doorway to compassion, unity, and grace, end quote. And I think that Dave really captures that, not to spoil my review, but I think David Dave captures precisely the upside-down message that as we have a lower view of ourselves, we actually open ourselves up to not only what the Spirit can do, but we also open ourselves up to the compassion and the grace that we can share and receive from and to others. So I'm, I'm thankful for this book. It's, it's a great read. It's a swift read. Uh, and I highly recommend you pick up a copy for yourself. I've also been reading uh, the sermons of one orator, G. Campbell Morgan. Uh, I have a collection of Morgan's sermons called The Westminster Pulpit, which I highly recommend you go out and grab a copy for yourself. I love reading sermons. I love just reading sermons in general, Uh, not just sermons, you know, most often perhaps uh, pastors and preachers read sermons from the likes of Spurgeon and whatnot, and of course I read those as well, but I love reading Alexander McLaren's uh, sermons, of course, but also I've come to find G. Campbell Morgan's sermons incredibly informative formative and enlightening. And he has one particular sermon that I read recently on the book of Amos, and in fact, Amos chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, in which Morgan titles, The Famine for the Word of God. And I love this particular sermon because I find so, and some of the things that he draws out of this particular passage, so incredibly timely and informative for our own day. The prophet Amos says in Amos 8.11, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. This prophecy is one that is indeed very alarming. It spells this impending doom, this famine that wreaks havoc and destruction on the people of God, but a famine not of crops, not of of this of that element which is so vital for life, namely water, but it is also that that spiritual element which is indeed just as vital and crucial for any sort of life to thrive, that is the word of God itself. Morgan says this, quote, I believe that the restlessness of our own age is due to the fact that our age is in the midst of, a, of the famine of the word of God, a famine following upon its idolatry, national, social, and individual. All the restlessness, he continues, of this ignorant age is the panting of the human heart after the word of God. Indeed, I would find that even though Morgan was writing this, declaring this decades ago, this analysis is true even for our own day. I would say definitely we are in the midst of our own famine, 
a famine for the Word of God. It starts with the church and it breeds outward this virus, this famine that affects all of the people of this age. It is, is, is a national, a social, and an individual crisis in which we have a famine for the Word of God. We'd rather hear wisdom from any other source, perhaps imaginal, other than the true source of all truth and wisdom, namely the words of God. Morgan concludes, quote, the greatest disease that can come to a nation, the thing that presages its decay and disintegration and downfall is famine of the word of God. Find me a nation largely composed of men and women and little children who do not hear the voice or see the vision or feel the touch of God, and I will find you a people marching to ruin despite their armaments and their policies and their banners and their boasting. That is quite, I would say, a trenchant reminder for our own day. It fits, of course, the people of God as they march towards their own ruin, as they continually accepted the wisdom of all of the other Hebrew gods and uh, heathen, heathen gods and nations opposed to God's wisdom. But even true, even still truly, I would say that it is a trenchant reminder for us for the people of God and the country of the United States of America, in which I think many in this country are experiencing the, their own famine for the words of God. And I pray sincerely, I pray dearly, and I pray genuinely that God would, would find a people that have found the words of God again, that all of our restlessness, all of our aching and our thirsting, I pray beyond beyond anything, that we would find the words of God to be our true source of nourishment and health and life once more. That's a great sermon, a great reminder for us too. I hope that you can find that again, Famine for the Word of God by G. Campbell Morgan. I highly recommend you read it. Great words for our own day. What's been helpful? Well, I want to highlight a series of articles, two articles in fact, um, that regard and concern that infamous doubting apostle St. Thomas, often called Doubting Thomas. You know, I often think that Doubting Thomas, if you will, gets sort of a bad rap. He is the one that is singled out as the one who didn't believe the report of Jesus' resurrection, as he says quite vehemently in John chapter 20, unless he can put his fingers in the scars and feel for himself the wounds of his Lord. Unless he can see for himself, see with his own eyes, this very sort of sensual way in which he can see this God, the, by which I mean that he can feel with his own fingers. He wants to have that type of experience, that type of evidence in and for himself. Unless that occurs, he will not believe. And often he's singled out as the only one of the bunch that has this sort of doubt, that has this sort of disbelief. But I think what both Martin Luther and Ken Sundant Jones observe is that, in fact, we are all Thomases. Martin Luther, in a sermon that, is, uh, ec that has been excerpted, 
and posted by the group 1517. He writes this, quote, He thus other utters a hyperbole, an exaggerated statement that he will not believe his eyes alone, but will feel and grope about Christ's body with his hands, as if he would say, No one shall persuade me to believe, but I will stand so firmly upon no that I will not believe, even if I see him as you say you saw him. Now this has happened, Luther continues, for our example and consolation that the great apostle also had to fail and stumble, in which we see how Christ shows and conducts himself toward his weak disciples, that he can tolerate also such who are still and as hard and stubborn as St. Thomas as is here, and that he will not on that account condemn and disown them, and by this he teaches us that we should become neither offended nor despondent because of that. But in harmony with this, he, this his example, gently go on with them, serve their weakness and with our strength until they become established and grow strong. And quote. All of this, I think, means, as Luther here means to suggest, that yes, Christ, the resurrected Lord Christ, the Christ of God, con- condescends even himself to this doubting disciple, enough to reveal himself in bodily form in his resurrected body to Thomas's doubts. What a great and affecting image that is as the resurrected Lord comes into the room, singles out Thomas as the one from the bunch who had separated himself because of his doubts, and the Lord shows and represents and shows himself, reveals himself, represents himself to those very same doubts. He doesn't repudiate Thomas. He doesn't condemn and disown him, as Luther says. In fact, instead, he descends to the weakness of Thomas's doubts, which I would have to say, hasten to say, that Thomas is not the only one who doubted. Much like Peter is the one from the bunch of apostles that first speaks up. I think Thomas is here the first to sort of exemplify, first to sort of articulate that which all of the disciples had strongly thought and felt in their own minds, even if they didn't explicitly verbalize. And in fact, I would say that Thomas is representative of all the apostles before they too had seen the resurrected Lord. Those disciples whom Jesus had met on the road to Emmaus, the apostles whom Jesus had had met in that room that was locked in John chapter 20, all had their doubts, all had their fears, and all of those doubts and fears were met by the same resurrected Lord who condescended to their weakness, to their doubt, and showed himself as the truth, the way, the truth, and the life the one who is strong for them, even when they are weak, he is gentle and lowly enough to condescend to their doubts. Luther writes all of that in an affecting way, and similarly does Ken Sundant Jones write in an essay over on Mockingbird entitled Tommy Boy and the Case of the Doubts, in which he reflects on the very same scene, and in fact, Ken says this, quote, it's just like him, you know, 
Whenever Jesus showed up after the resurrection in the Gospels, it was always to people wandering around in despair. Mary Magdalene at the tomb, Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus, the disciples out in the boat boat catching a total zero fish. Jesus searched out those who hadn't an ounce left to give, and his first word was peace. I'm in control just now as I was at the first moment of creation. I took what was formless and void and made something good out of it. Just so I'm taking your chaos and turning it into the kingdom of God. Relax. What great words. Words that I think allay our fears and doubts. That even on our times of distress and disaster and calamity and chaos, when we too are given over to doubt and fear, what do we have to remember with Doubting Thomas in the scene in which his doubts are answered is that we have a Christ, we have a God who descends to our moments of weakness and doubt to answer them in the most perfect way possible by giving us, by showing us his resurrected body, by showing us his wounds in his, in his hands, in his side, by showing us the scars of our salvation. That's the way in which all of our doubts are answered, all of our fears are quelled. It's when we remember the Christ of God, remember the scars which are our salvation by remembering the blood which he shed for us. You see, in the end, I think we are all St. Thomas. We are given often to doubt and fear, given often to this overwhelming flood of dread. That it's just too much. How can this be? Unless I see it, I won't believe. And Jesus gives us the same affecting consolation. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. My friends, we are a part of that company. And he gives us this reassuring word, Jesus does, that we are blessed because we too have taken by faith a similar touch and feel for that which Thomas touched and felt, the resurrected Christ, which is just to say that at the proclamation of the gospel, at the proclamation of the passion and resurrection of Christ, we too repeat the same scene. The scene where Thomas's doubts are answered by the resurrected Lord, that's our answer. That's our hope. That's our stay. That's our confidence. And this age in which it seems, yes, that there is a famine for the word of God, when doubts and fears seem to be on the multiplication, we have the mercy of God which meets us, as is the title of this podcast, meets us in our messy ministries, meets us in our messy situations. And that's where he alleviates all of our doubts by showing us himself, scars and all. I'm thankful for that word, that word of promise, that word of news, that word of grace, that word which is Christ himself. Thanks for listening. I hope you've been blessed by this episode 
If you can, if you haven't already, subscribe to Ministry Minded. You can do so on Substack, Apple Podcasts, or on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. If you have something you'd like me to cover in an upcoming episode, please send me an email. I'd be glad to include that in an upcoming show. As always, though, I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings to you this day. God bless you.